Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com. Another frantic week in the Premier League. Still one game to come, actually, is wall-to-wall football at the moment. But we're here today to preview the weekend's action. We'll start, though, by talking about the games that have just gone midweek. But at the time of record, we haven't seen the game on Thursday night between Brighton and Manchester United. I've completely forgotten who is at home. But let's talk about Haaland. Broke the Premier League goal-scoring record last night, Jonathan. Ran through kind of a guard of honour where he got slapped on the head by, by quite a lot of people. But the guy has just been an absolute machine this season, hasn't he? And he, he's not finished scoring yet, let's face it. He could easily add another 10 goals at least by the end of the season. Well, he's got potentially eight, eight games left, hasn't he, in all competitions. Uh, and I think he'd need to get uh, 12, is that right, to get up to Dixie Dean's record? So, he, yeah, the fact we're even talking about that is ridiculous because nobody's come close in 60, no, hang on, uh, getting on for 100 years. Uh, when was that? Twenty twenty-seven eight that he did that. So, uh, I mean, I, I know, I know, I know. You'll press the case for Aston Villa's Pongo wearing. Good player, um, good player back in the day, Pongo. Yeah, very unreliable though. Apparently, uh, okay. just would would turn up to training whenever he felt like it because he scored goals. Nobody stopped him, and he also had a Different habit. Times. I have to say, I didn't, I didn't fully understand what the sentence meant, but it appears that before before games or before training. He'd go round all the concession stands and uh, finish off whatever lemonade was left in all the bottles. Um, I felt like you were just making this up. <laughs> no, no, no. Is this a dream you had about Bongo Wary? <laughs> no, it's, it's, on, it's on his Wikipedia page. Um, okay. Reliable. But as I say, I, it's, it's, I didn't, didn't fully understand what it meant. Um, but his, his real first name, Tom, as I'm sure you knew, Pongo's yep, nickname that, from a, a cartoon called Pongo the Pup. Um, so, yeah, obviously. Very sad times for Ponga wearing to see his 50 goals for season mark surpassed. Um, and then he was the last, and that was, what, 31, I think, when that happened. So, again, we, you know, we're talking nearly 100 years. So, yeah, Holland, since he came through at Salzburg, well, even people who saw him in Norway, but I, I first saw him at Salzburg, was obviously a, a, a ludicrous talent. Um yeah, I really think in the entirety of, of world football history, there's maybe been half a dozen players who've had his pace and size and skill, all, all three of those together. Um, I think maybe the closest thing to him is, was Bernabe Ferreira, who, who played for River in the 1930s. I think it's the only time that the world transfer record has gone outside of Europe when River signed him from Tigre for £15,000. Um, and you look at pictures of him and you know, he, he, he just looks a different size to all the other players in the same way that Holland does, but obviously with a load of technical skill as well. And I, I, you know, I think there's something very exciting about seeing that, something viscerally thrilling. We saw that at, at Salzburg, we saw it at Dortmund. And you'd think, well, the Premier League is famously physically tough. It's, a, it's clearly the highest standard league in the world at the moment. Can he do it there? I did expect him to be able to score lots of goals, but I was thinking in the twenties, not in the yeah, not in the forties. Um, to, to be scoring over a goal a game in the Premier League, I mean, no, nobody's. Yeah, was was what four players have got over thirty before? Yeah, these are remarkable things he's doing. Um, it helps obviously he's playing in the, the best side in the league as well. Uh, there was already the best side in the league before he arrived, but yeah, I, 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 I didn't expect. I don't think anybody expected him to score quite this many goals to be quite this effective. And what's been interesting is that there were doubts. There were times when it seemed to disrupt city structure. And it's only really the last two months that those two things have really clicked. And I, I well, we'll see in the in the Champions League semi-finals, that'll be the real test. But I, I, I suspect 
the fact that Guardiola's had to um, compromise his normal purism has probably been beneficial to City. That that slight friction has been very creative. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there's been times where Manchester City haven't felt quite right, but he just for the whole season has been has been banging the goals in, so it hasn't it hasn't really affected them in any way at all because they've they've stayed up there through, throughout the duration of the season, but. I think Cancelo going and having that solidarity at the back with mainly with four centre-backs playing a lot of the time as well has, has, has really helped them. And then at that time, it feels like Haaland, it's all knitted together at the, at the time now in the running, hasn't it? Really, that's what it feels like to me. Yeah, I mean, Guardiola deliberately, in the same way that Wenger used to and Ferguson used to, he, he tries to tailor training so that they hit April at, at their strongest. And I, I think you saw that. I mean, April, they were absolutely brilliant. Um, I don't think it was a fitness thing before that, but obviously, you know, all these things mesh together. And as you say, I think the tactical changes with going to a, a sort of flatter back four, but but also augmenting that with Stone stuff in the midfield, all of that has worked. I think that's freed up Grealish. Grealish relationship with Holland is really important. Um, De Bruyne, after having that little post-World Cup lull, he's back to his best. And his relationship with, with Holland is clearly brilliant. So, so yeah, ev- everything has has come together and... Um, if you can leave the moral stuff to one side, which is difficult, they are brilliant to watch. Yeah, absolutely sensational, Ben. Well, welcome to the pod, Ben. Me and Jonathan have spoken for for five minutes there, and you've just been sat, sat there listening to us. But Liverpool, as well, five in a row now. They won last night again, one nil against Fulham at home. Bit of momentum at the end of the season. It's probably not going to be enough to get fourth, or it, it won't be enough to, to get fourth. But good for them to, to end the season positively. Yeah, that's the key thing. Uh, coming to the summer, obviously, we know Liverpool are going to spend big in the midfield in the summer, but it's good for them to have Jota and Diaz back to fitness at relatively the same time. He's got two quality options out there on the left. Gakpo started well uh, after his January move. Nunes, he has dropped out of the team recently, um, but again, he brings the chaos when he comes on, which is kind of what you need from Liverpool's side that is so effective going forward. Um as you say, probably a bit too late to mount that top four challenge, um, especially as United and Newcastle both have games in hand over Liverpool uh, in the coming weeks. But, you know, it is a positive coming to the end of the season strongly. I mean, we will get on to the weekend's action. I'll claw some time back in the running order. But Jonathan, I just want to ask about Bellingham. Looks like he's going to, to, to Real Madrid. How greedy are they? Because it looks like Cruz and Modric will be there next season for them. So their options in midfield next season, if Bellingham does sign, are going to be out of this world? Yeah, I mean, you, you assume that going forward, the midfield three will be Schoemini, Camavinga and Bellingham, which, yeah, just looks brilliant. Looks brilliant. Oh, Valverde can play there as well, haven't they? Valverde as well, yeah. Inside. Yeah, it's true. Um, and and yeah, we have seen them play 4-4-2 occasionally. Uh, so, so that's a really good group of players in their early 20s and that's really exciting for the future. But, it's good to have Modric and Kroos there as well for a couple more seasons. I mean, Modric surely can't go much longer. But if you want to learn from anybody, they're two of the best people to, to, to learn from. Clearly, they will not be able to play at high intensity on a regular basis you know, in, in, in the next year or two. I mean, Kroos is, isn't actually that old, is he? He's only 33, maybe? Um, more he's the way he gets around the pitch doesn't feel as but he, he, he feels he feels old yeah yeah he um whereas Modric just, just sort of I mean Modric it seems to me he went from looking like a child to looking like an old man overnight about 15 years ago and hasn't changed uh and continues to be brilliant so 
Um, I, yeah, I think that's that's a really exciting midfield in prospect. And I think it's probably very good for England that um, uh, yeah. Bellingham's going to be getting further experience playing in a different league, um, playing alongside you know, players of that level. Um, and, and almost, you know, not having the intensity of the Premier League to, to, to sort of sap his energies. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I, I get why he wants to move there rather than Liverpool, certainly. Yeah, I mean, Modric is my favourite player to watch in, in world football. And to be honest, Bellingham's not, not, not far off becoming that now already. I think the good thing about those three or four young midfielders that we've mentioned is they've all got games in the bank as well. It's not like they're coming there and it's a young midfield and it's raw and they haven't played at the highest level. They've all played in big games for their countries and 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 for their clubs. So you know that's for Real Madrid going forward. That must be so exciting to know. That's probably our midfield sorted for the for, for the next decade. Then if if we want it to be, and they've, they've had such a good midfield over the previous decade as well. Real Madrid fans just absolutely spoilt. Let's look ahead to the weekend. Then a huge game in the Premier League to start us off. It's Newcastle against Arsenal. Ben nowadays Newcastle actually seems to have good squad depth. They seem to be able to mix and match their attack and whatever they do, whoever comes in seems to get, seems to be productive. You look at Jacob Murphy's in and out of the team, but when he does play, he seems to be scoring and, and assisting goals. Wilson and Isak are fighting it out at the moment. So Maximum's been good, but, but he's injured at the moment. Almiron obviously had that real purple patch earlier on in the season. So Newcastle have suddenly got an, an array of attacking options that Eddie ha- and Eddie Howe has managed to elevate a lot of them over over the last twelve months to a level we didn't think was possible. Yeah, and you've got Anthony Gordon's come uh, coming as well. Uh, I know he was a big money signing in January, and he didn't really score fairly frequent, fairly regularly for Everton. But again, options. Uh, he's a hard working winger, which is what Eddie Howe wants from that team. Um, I think the key aspect of that attack has been Isak's return to fitness. He offers that um, versatility that Wilson perhaps doesn't. Wilson's more of that. Classic number nine, whereas Isak likes to pull to the wing. I mean, you saw his incredible assist against uh, Everton. Um, and key for how in this has been that he's got different strikers with different needs. Um, you know, he's he's got Isak to pull wide if need be. He's got Wilson to put the ball in the back of the net. But they both haven't been impacted by the lack of game time. If anything, the rotation out of the squad has benefited both, uh, both strikers, which has been absolutely instrumental in their... Uh, push for the top four. Now, Jonathan, you're going to lead on the next section. We've been speaking about all these top, top midfielders that Real Madrid have, and Ben has been doing doing the running order. Joe Willock, good form, agreed. Willock for England, not sure about that. And is he no, the he's... midfielder Arsenal could do with now? Right, he's a really good player. That's the first thing. Um, could Arsenal do with him? Yeah, possibly, because I think um, when Jack has been out. He, you know, they, they've lacked a player with that dynamism. Willick could have done that. It's it's just this sort of you know, somebody puts together one of a, a dozen good games, and suddenly it's oh, should he be in the England squad? That's not how football works. You know, this idea that the international caps are like blue Peter badges you give out for that for you know, they, were, they were at one point. <laughs> well, they, they were at one point, but we've moved on from that. Yeah, you know, you, you, it's not a reward for making I don't know a nice castle out of washing up liquid bottles, <laughs> or for putting in a half dozen good games in Newcastle. Yeah. The, the England squad is really good at the minute, really good. Uh, it's as good as, as it's been in 40 years. And one of the reasons for that is they have a set style of play. They know what they need in all those all in, in different positions. And this is not really a role for Willick. It shouldn't be, um, you know, does Willick deserve 
uh, you know, an England cap, it should be, would England be better by bringing in anybody else? And uh, where, well, it just doesn't fit in that midfield. You know, Rice clearly sits at the base of that midfield. Calvin Phillips may be alongside him. Joe Lentz may be alongside him. Maybe standing in for Rice if Rice is, is injured. Bellingham and then probably Mason Mount or Phil Foden. You know, the, the, Willick just sort of complicates that. You could bring him in the squad. He, he, he you know, he, I'm not saying he's not good enough for England. He just doesn't fit this England setup. And what frustrates me is just this this way of looking at international football. That you, know, this is this is how Todd Bowley would look at international football. He is a good player. Let's just get him. Well, that's not how it is. It's you. You have to think about what is the unit. How does the unit develop? And you don't develop a unit sensibly by just bringing in good players. So it's it's not to say well it's not a good player he is a really good player, and and you know I, I think one one of the things we've seen this season is people talking about oh yeah the Arsenal Academy is isn't it great it's brought through Saka and and Reece Nelson and Nketiah, um, um, uh, Smith Rowe, uh, albeit you know he's he's been injured for a lot of the season, and and yeah that's true, but think of the Arsenal Academy of sort of. Uh, yeah, five years, a decade ago, they brought through Willock and Nabry and uh, Iwobi. You know, okay, Sack is probably better than any of them, but maybe he's just a better player from, from birth. The, the Arsenal Academy has been really good for a really long time, and Willock is is part of that. Um, so, but, but yeah, it's just, oh, he's English. He's played well recently. Should we give him an England cap? It's just it's just how you produce losing football teams at national level. It's a good argument you, you put forward there. I would actually argue, and I'm going to maybe put myself in the bad books here, Sean Longstaff would actually be a better fit for England in terms of where position he plays and how he plays the game than, than Willock at the moment because he is a more defensive midfielder and he would... He, a bit like Calvin Phillips in the way he plays the game in, in some respects. So I think Long, Longstaff would actually be a better fit for England than, than Willock. I think he's had a really good season, Longstaff. I, I, I sort of see the argument, but I mean, the, the the big difference between him and Calvin Phillips is Calvin Phillips' passing range. Yeah. yeah. Calvin Phillips' passing is extraordinary and the pace at which he can do it when he's on form. Um, Can't go on the bloody I, Well, yeah. Um, and that's, that's, a, that's a problem. Um, and I hope for his sake and England's sake that well, either he gets pitch time or that, that he leaves. Because um, I think he's, you know, him at Leeds was a great player to watch and it, it frustrates me slightly that we, we don't get to watch him more regularly. Coming on in stoppage time last night for Roger, almost felt a little bit insulting. I, thought, I mean, he, he looked quite happy about it, in all honesty, when when, when he was coming on. Probably up. gets an appearance bonus. Yeah, it's probably quite hefty as, as well, isn't it, playing play for Manchester City. Ben Bowley, have you got anything to, to say in defence of your, your actions, your script writing? <laughs> uh, I'm fully on board with Joe Willick for England just because uh, that's my argument. That's uh, it. Okay. <laughs> was, that a, um, was it a group decision to, to bring this into the running order or is it a purely early decision? It's mainly that, you know, it, it comes back from when Tim Sherwood said, I want my defenders to, to defend, my attackers to attack, and my midfielders to do a bit of both. And after the Spurs win, Eddie Howe said, Joe Willick has got a little bit of everything. And he's developed his game into this. You know, you couldn't really pigeonhole him into like <laughs> just, just you, know, you, you lost me at Tim Sherwood. Tim Sherwood, all right. <laughs> oh, right. No. <laughs> the base of this argument is the gospel of Sherwood. <laughs> I was just, just lost a good one. <laughs> um, yeah. 
but I, the confusion on Jonathan's Jay, face as well. <laughs> that's what it stemmed from. It's not saying that because of t- Tim Sherwood, we should get Joe Willick in the squad. Joe Willick has developed his game to for in that functional midfield three with Gimarish and Joe Ellington. Um, he can do, you know, his, his good work at both ends of the pitch. Um, you know, that's six assists and three goals is sort of testament to the attacking side to his game. And he has proven, he, he, well, he stepped his game up uh, off the ball to make that functional midfield three, which kind of where the argument stems from, where potentially he could be in the England squad, maybe not as a long-term fit, but as a just a test to see, you know, could he do the job? Henderson's, you know, the wrong side of 30 now. Could he fill a gap there? I mean, they've got Bellingham there. Henderson is probably a different midfielder to Willock. So it's just a case of experimenting to see whether Willock would fit in that number eight role just to give England options, really. I got so hot. But then oh, I think I went bright red as well. Because <laughs> I've tried to let you speak, but I couldn't I couldn't hold it in any longer <laughs> when, when, when you said when you said I think we're all in agreement that Willock is a is a very good player. I just think we're probably not all in agreement that he should be in the England squad. Let's talk about Arsenal now. Yeah, I mean again, you can tell the Spurs fan has, has wrote this script. <laughs> Jonathan, looks like Arsenal have bottled it. Where would they need to improve? Can I, can I make an argument? Can I make an argument and so, say that I wrote the script with Martin? So it wasn't just me. I mean, Martin nowadays, you don't, you don't hear off the go. You start, start doing the podcast last season, <laughs> never, never seen it. Uh, it's what it's was, not just me. It's what just was me. Tim Sherwood's input into this bit of the script? <laughs> yeah. He said Joe Willock because he, he, can, he can do his defending, he can do his attacking, he his midfielders do a bit of everything. So there we go. Tim Sherwood's in there. I mean, Tim Sherwood also said after Aston Villa had lost a game to Leicester when they were two 0 up, he said, "Tim, no, it wasn't Leicester. It was a different game." He said, "Tim, Tim Sherwood's not in a hole. Aston Villa are in a hole, and they literally lost his job oh. the next day." <laughs> after, after, after he said, "I could do a whole podcast on Tim Sherwood. I, I absolutely love the bloke." I, I, we could I do another like, one if you want. Oh, a Tim Sherwood special. Combine uh, it with Nathan Jones as well. Class. But yeah, I don't think. <laughs> and actually, let's talk about the the bottling. Let's talk. Let's let's talk about. I don't like that term. I don't think they, they have bottled it. I just think they've not quite been at the level required and Manchester City are a, are a machine. Would you go along with that, Jonathan? Well, I think it's a case of two different things being true. So I don't think Arsenal scored. You know, the reason nobody thought Arsenal would, you know, before the season, when we were making predictions, nobody said Arsenal to win the league. And the reason for that was we looked at the squad and it fairly obviously wasn't deep enough. And then they did extraordinarily well in that first two thirds of a season, three quarters of a season. Uh, they were pretty lucky with injuries as well. And they, they got themselves in a position where they had a chance of winning the league. And, and that, that was way better than expectations, way better than any of us thought. And then having gotten that position, two things happened. So one was they got a couple of key injuries, notably Saliba um, and, and the, the backup options to Saliba, particularly with Tommy Asu being out, just, just weren't good enough. Um, and the, the second thing is that, that if you're Tina up and that controlling a game as they were at Anfield... And even more so, again, away at West Ham. And you then don't take full points from those games. If you end up drawing both of those games from 2 up and cruising, then I think you do have to say that that is, a, that, you know, that, that is to do with anxiety, it is to do with nerves. It is to, it, you know, there hasn't been that, that calmness you need to see a game through. And then to follow that up by, by letting in the two soft goals early on against Southampton just compounds that. So it's 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 not a case that they were the best team by miles 
and then froze. It's they were putting together a challenge that was very unlikely, and then at a key moment when the, the score was already starting to creak, they did just have a couple of of, of, of mental blips that, that let opponents back in the games they should never let them back into. So, have they bottled it? To an extent, but I think far more significant, as you say, is they're up against a brilliant City team. They've way exceeded expectations. Um, but in the end, the limitations of their squads caught them up. And you can even make the case that the two things are are related, that um, what you're, when you're buying a player for huge amounts of money, one of the things you're looking for is a player who has that capacity to control the game when you're teaming up, who doesn't sort of have that, that, that wobble. And... and yeah, you know, it's it's not that those games were sort of freakish. That the, the, you know suddenly Liverpool scored two goals from nowhere. Suddenly West Ham scored two goals from nowhere. Arguably, the first goal back against Arsenal each of those games came from nowhere. But then after that, yeah, you know, the way that Arsenal really struggled to control possession, the way they gave the ball away repeatedly, uh, the same at times against Southampton, you know, players playing way under their level. But that level of composure is part of what part of the package of what makes a great player. And those are players. You know, maybe slightly lacking experience, he will develop that. Maybe, um, yeah, whose whose value is 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 just not quite as high as it might be because because they do have that 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 tendency to to to, to drop off under pressure. Um, I think the fact that it happened last season as well, and again, you can say similar things, squad size, but but also there was a a sort of um, a psychological downturn that last you know five or six games of last season when when. When it really came to the crunch time, it's it's not as bad this season, but it it has happened again. So it's it's a little bit bottling, but mainly mainly depth of squad and the 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 quality of city. Got to lose something first as well to progress and go on go on to to win it. I think you think of Klopp's Liverpool; they ran Man City so close that that one season and didn't quite win win the league, and then I think they went on and and won it the next season. They lost the European Cup final and then won it the year after. Sometimes you have to lose to be able to, to win. And Arsenal's development and where they're at is so far superior to, to where we thought they would be this season. I think they've had a great season at the moment. They've got a very good... I saw this tweet from somewhere else. I can't remember where I've stolen it from. I'm not going to try and claim it as my own. But at the moment, they've got a very, they've got a good plan A that has got them up the league. Probably not quite got a plan B or a plan C at the moment when things are going against them because they're not they're not quite at that phase in their development where that where they've got that mentality and they've got that ruthless ruthlessness. That's not a word. And is that what what word am I trying to say? Ruthlessness. That's what I was that's what I was trying to say. And in the big moments, you know, it wasn't actually the inexperienced players that that, that cost them. You know, you think of when you think of it was probably Xhaka and Party in the in the Liverpool and and West Ham game. Suddenly they were the ones that seemed overawed by well, I think, in particular in the West Ham game, I thought. Thank God are good in both of those games and the Southampton game. Certainly for Patch for Southampton game. Although he, he became good again towards the end. I think he had a a, you know, a little dip. Um and he's you know, I know he's been around for ages because of being signed for Real Madrid when he was sixteen, but he's only what, twenty three, twenty four? Yeah, he's young. Um and and and, and you know, he having he's sort of simultaneously an, an old 23-24 and a young 23-24 because although he's sort of been around big clubs for eight years, uh, he hasn't played a huge number of games for big clubs. You know, he had his time, but went very well in the Netherlands on loan and then at um, Real Sociedad. But, you know, this is his first experience of a, of a title challenge. So uh, whatever his qualities as a player, whatever the leadership qualities he has, 
you know, it's 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 new territory for him. Yeah, and also because of how well they've done, they've opened up a different transfer market for themselves this summer. You know, Declan Rice to Arsenal twelve months ago, unthinkable. No chance does he even think about that move now. They're probably in the in pole position to to get him in. So what they've done this season is open themselves up to a different market, got themselves back in the Champions League, whether they win the league or whether they don't. So they're in a good position now to push on and be sustainable and have a a, a longer term plan. Arsenal now, I think you know. Yes, you could say they've bowled it, but they've still had an, an unbelievable season. Right, ben, we're going to have to go straight to the combined eleven here. I'm interested to see what what who's going to come up with for this one because I think it would probably be tight in a few positions. It is, yeah, of course. It usually is with who scored uh, best elevens. There's you know questionable decisions all over the place, but I think this one's a pretty sound eleven. Uh, Nick Pope in goal. Tim Sherwood as manager, he's also in goal and at right <laughs> Nick Pope in goal, Kieran Trippier right back, Shah, Gabriel, centre back, Sinchenko left back, midfield three of Erdegaard, Gimaras, and Joe Ellington, and up front it's Saka, Jesus, and Martinelli. What have you come up with, Jonathan? Not that dissimilar. Um, uh, Pope, Trippier, I, I struggle with the centre backs because the two I want both play on the left, but I'm going to try it, at least try it in training, see if I can do it. Gabriel and Botman together, Zinchenko on the left, uh, Bruno Gimaras. Joe Willock and Odegaard in midfield, and then Saka, Isaac, and Martinelli up front. Stressing this is very much on present form. Yeah, I think if you're picking yeah. overseas and party, you probably would get in there ahead of, well, party would take Gamarish as well, and Bruno Gamarish would push forward instead of Willock, I think. Be an unbelievable bench between those two teams. Plenty, mm, of, options, yeah. plenty of options to, to bring off the bench. No big, no big Dan Burn on either side. Sinchenko's good. Yeah, he is. But uh, Dunburn's had a, had a very good season as well. Okay, then let's get the predictions. Then Ben, the Spurs fan, what's your prediction for Newcastle v Arsenal? <laughs> he dropped the Spurs then in the, in there. Um, no way you're predicting them to win. <laughs> no, I had Newcastle to win two one. Um, I just think home exactly advantage. Yeah, yeah, I think home advantage. Arsenal have this habit of when they're away, they're, they're playing away and the home crowd kind of gets up against and they get a bit overawed. That's probably down to an experience, which is understandable uh, at this stage of their project. But I think Newcastle should win this one 2-1. Yeah, I can't say past 2-1 either. I just, I just think Newcastle will be too strong at St. James's at this stage of the season. Jonathan? Well, also 2-1 to Newcastle. 2-1 to Newcastle. Not often we all come up with exactly the same score. Mm. I mean, as we know, it's completely meaningless, but not often we all come up with exactly the same score when we're doing our predictions. Let's look at Pep's Manchester City against a manager that's clearly better than him, Sam Allardyce's Leeds. Jonathan, can you believe... Can, well, one, can you believe Sam Allardyce said that in his, in his press conference? Two, can you believe he's back? I tuned into that press conference live <laughs> yesterday and it was just a, a feast of words. <laughs> yeah, it's just just magnificent, isn't it? Like, um, I don't know. This season, I think we've talked before about how there's been some really good cameos this season. Yeah, Todd Bowley is a great new character to bring in. Nathan Jones was 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 great for that sort of six weeks. <laughs> Getting Sam back when we've already got Roy Hodgson there, when we've already got David Moyes there, when we've already got Frank Lambert. It's like an EastEnders Christmas special or something where all the favourite old characters come back, and then just that. But it's just a brilliant detail. The fact that Sammy Lee can't join him because he's on jury service and the judge won't release him. And Sam sitting there in a press conference saying, oh, I think it's a really bad judgment. <laughs> of course he can't be released from a trial that's already going on to go, <laughs> go manage Leeds for four games. But then that line, uh, the wee man loves being with me and I love being with him. 
it's just it's just beautiful. Sam having to do it alone. Yeah, the the uh, yeah the, the great hole in his heart as he as he as he misses his his long term assistant. And you know, the, 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 I don't think it's going to happen. But imagine they did go to City and and, and get something and you know reawaken the title race. It, it would just be the the greatest plot twist in in history of football. I mean, if this was a was a East Enders script, I don't think they'd write it because even they'd be like, "This is not realistic." <laughs> even for us, this isn't realistic. Nobody's nobody's going to believe that that this would happen. Yes, he, he has got quite an eclectic uh, staff with him as as well. Ben and Carl Robinson, who I don't remember ever being an assistant manager. I only remember him as as a manager. And then Robbie Kane, and even his Sam's quote about Robbie Kane was how how much he he loves the club purely because he played there. Robbie Curtin played for everyone. <laughs> yeah, he's back at one of his, what, 12 boyhood clubs now? Yeah. Um, it's it's funny. I mean, well, not funny. I mean, it's just the way that uh, Leeds have gone from finishing ninth under Bielsa to, you know, two years later, they've got Sam Allardyce in charge and they're scraping uh, relegate, relegation scrap. Messing um, my neighbour is a Leeds fan. He was just like, He's just speechless. Doesn't really know what to say about it. And it, you know, you would you would think they need one win to secure their safety. And Allardyce is think probably seen win. as the right man to do it. I'd say they just need one win from the last four, and that will basically see them up. No. Given I'd like to disagree with you on everything you I said in the podcast, Ben. They need they need at least two. Well, well at least points. one. I'm saying at least one. At least one. The thing is, though, you got Allardyce back, and his final four games in his last management. Uh, last role manager was West Brom and he lost those final four games of the season. So not a good omen. And they do have a pretty tough run in, but if they can pick up at least the win in the next four, they would stand a much better stead, to, uh, a much better foundation to you know consolidate their place. It's just, he's unfortunate that he has to take on Man City this weekend. And, you know, it would be great for the uh, narrative if he were to pick up a result at, at City. I'm I, I talking a narrative. The fact he has to play Newcastle and West Ham, two clubs he's managed who hated him mm. in, you know, in those four games, is also <laughs> just beautiful. It was going to be difficult for him mm. to not play clubs that he's managed. Well, true. It? it was going to be really, really hard. <laughs> but but, but, but the two, two of them plus Everton are the three where he really wasn't popular. One thing I do think Allardyce was doing in his press conference, and he said he, he honestly said so much. If you haven't watched the whole thing, go back and watch it because he is absolute god. I think he's in some way just trying to. I'm going to say all this stuff and just trying to alleviate the pressure from my team completely and just get people talking about me. I did, did feel there was an element of that with a lot of the stuff he was saying. Yeah, I, I hope that's what he was doing. Um, I don't know because I, I don't know if you've listened to any of his no tippy tappy football podcast. I saw a clip, but I—I I, I mean, I wasn't aware it existed until yesterday, and I've heard quite a lot of it since. There's a lot of nonsense on there. I—I <laughs> <laughs> I, I do slightly fear. I mean, look, look, Allardyce is the apart from Peter. Well, so, since Peter Reid, he's the best manager Sunderland have had. Jeez. If if England had a good year of 2016, and Roy Hodgson hadn't left, and Allardyce hadn't got that job for 60 whatever days it was. Sunderland would have been in a much healthier position. It was the, the end of that season was the first time in in a, in a long time that it looked like Sunderland were getting things together. Um, and I know there's all kinds of uh, you know rows for him and the board over transfer budgets and whatever. But the four signings he'd made in the January were all very good. Well, three of them were very good. One of them was okay. Um, you know, he knew what he was doing. Um, so you know, I, I, I'm not one of these sort of Allardyce mockers, but. 
having listened to some of that podcast, having heard the press conference yes, yesterday, I do wonder if he if he he might have lost his grip on modern football. Um, and that that would concern me. And 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 obviously, you know, the way things went at West Brom wouldn't inspire you with confidence. On the other hand, they were going down on Javi Gracia. Yeah. Whatever happened three minutes before half time against Crystal Palace destroyed them. It is something different. It, it it might be enough to to to, to shake him up and get him that five six points they probably need. Leeds might as well have just stuck with Jesse Marsh because they they backed him and all the players they'd bought were to suit the brand of football that that he plays. And now they're just in they're just in no man's land. Allardyce might well keep keep them up, but he's not going to get the job permanently next season. I wouldn't think it's just. I mean, he'll get paid handsomely as well, so he'll be chuffed. If, well, depending player. which report you believe, it's either a three million or a four million pound bonus if they stay up. It's good work. And, and given that theoretically they could lose every game and stay up, that's... I mean, I, I, I don't for a second think that will happen, but theoretically it could happen. I mean, that would be... Again, that would be a hilarious kind of denouement to his career. Ben, on Sam Allardyce, I believe you've compiled a quiz for us. Yeah. So uh, Sam Allardyce doesn't have the best record against Man City. Uh, I think they're his second least favourite opponents. He hasn't won a game at Man City since 2006, where his Bolton side won 2-0. What I want to know is, who was the goal scorer that day for Bolton? This was not was the same player like, scored two goals. Yep. I mean, I, I this is. I mean, clearly, I don't know. I'm just going to have to guess. Um, is, is I mean, is the reason why it's significant? Do you want the clue? Because that will make it. I don't want the clue. So there is something. Something in this. There's going to be. There's going to be something in this somewhere. A link to something or or someone. So, yeah, I mean, I've for the life of me got no, haven't got a clue what it what it is. I'll just guess Kevin Davies, but it's not going to be him. No, it's not Kevin Davies. Uh, Ricardo Gardner. Ricardo nope. Gardner. Bruno and Gotti. <laughs> no. Ivan Campo. Kevin Nolan. No, Kevin Nolan. Kevin. It's not no Kevin and no. Akacha. Jokaev. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, go on and give us a clue. He played for both Man City and Bolton. Oh, it's not an Elka. It is an Elka. Oh, very good. An Elka. In one. Got it in one. Yeah, just edit out all the rest of the guesses. <laughs> Make me, me look like an absolute genius, please, <laughs> producer. What I want to know is, who was the goal scorer that day for Bolton? Oh, it's not an Elka. It is an Elka. Oh, very good. An Elka. Good quiz question, though. Was I was expecting, can we name the nine Premier League clubs that Sam Allardyce has, has managed? That was what I was expecting. Oh, let's, let's, let's try that. So, Newcastle, Sunderland, West Ham, Everton, Palace, Bolton... Leeds, West Brom, West Brom, West Brom, and one more Blackburn. Blackburn, okay, there yeah. we go. Let's have our score predictions for this one then. Manchester City v Leeds. Is anyone going to be brave enough to predict anything but a Manchester City win? Jonathan, no, 3 0 to City, 3 0 to Man City. Ben, 4 0 Man City, 4 0 Man City. I'll go 2 0 to Man City. As I've said, it's, it's all academic anyway. Next, we're going to look at Nottingham Forest against Southampton. Jonathan, about a thousand players through the door for Forest this season, varying degrees of success. In fairness, they did need to buy a lot because their squad was very small at the at the start of the season. How many would you quantify as having been a success? Well, I think you've got to say Gibbs White is. Uh, I think you'd probably say Nico Williams. I know he's injured now, but yeah, you know, I think given his age, I think he's he's looked decent. Uh, Foyle and Ren Lodi, I think, have done okay. Um, 
And beyond that, I don't know. They, they, they seem to have a lot of players who've sort of played 15 games. And I don't know if that's just they've got so many players to keep rotating. I don't know if it's injuries. They, I mean, whenever you look at them, they always seem to have a massive injury list. But then I don't know if that's because they've just got a massive squad. So if, you know, if, if, if 10% of your squad is always injured, then their injury list is always going to be bigger than other people's. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Something like Emmanuel Dennis, who I thought there were signs at Watford last season, he was a decent player. Uh, I know Nigeria quite annoyed that he didn't go to the Cup of Nations. Um, he hasn't really done it. Uh, I think Lingard's been a, a big disappointment again, obviously injury affected. Um, so, yeah, Morgan Gibbs-White, definitely. And then maybe Froehler, Renan Lodi and Nico Williams uh, on the next tier down. And then there may be others. Who've, I mean, Kiate, I think, is a decent player, but he hasn't really done it, has he? Um, cost them last game. Or yeah. cost them against Brentford with his... Yeah. I'd say the two so, keepers have been good signings on loan. Henderson was doing quite well until he got injured and that Navas is a great goalkeeper. You know, yeah. You could say he made a couple of mistakes in the last game. Casper Schmeichel disagreed on, on Monday night of football. But in, I've watched a fair bit of Forrest. He oh, he's kept, played some, he has kept them in some, yeah, yeah. some games. Absolutely. He's, he's, but he, he's a loan he's, signing, right? So Yeah, but I'd still say he's been a he classes a success, I, I would say anyway. Yeah. Yeah. They did that they did too much in in January, like that, I did think people into the equation. I didn't think they needed to add John Joe Shelby, for example. Has he really come in and made them any better? Is he any better than than what was there? Um, I don't think so. I think that, that that was a bit panic stations, and then that's caused Cooper to have to try and bring a team together when it felt like he just kind of found his team. He's then thrown a million more players back in, into the equation. I think Cooper's done a brilliant job under the circumstances. Ben, what do you think? Completely agree. Um, they were doing fine uh, until that January window they even muddled through January pretty well but since you know that closed they've only won two of two uh, two league games um as you said the they're overcomplicating it by adding all these extra players in which they really didn't need to do when they were doing not great but as you said Cooper had got a cohesive unit together which seemed relatively impossible given they bought in you know 75 new players in the summer anyway and then to add more on top of that in January, really saw them struggle uh, in the final months of the season. It's not a surprise when you've got this nice balance, this nice harmony in the squad and, you know, to throw these new faces in has really disrupted things for them. Danilo looks a decent player as well from what I've seen of seen of him. I've watched a couple of games recently and Danilo's look, look lively in the midfields. So I think long-term he'll be a good player and he's not going to be someone that they're going to lose money on. I think he, he looks like he's a... He's a talent. But Jonathan, I guess if you'd offered Forrest the position they're in now at the start of the season, still having a chance of staying up with four games left, they'd, they'd have taken this position. And this home game now, it's, it's must win. They've got to beat Southampton. But they'd have they'd have probably taken where they are now, I would say. Yeah, probably. I mean, certainly so six weeks into the season after that, that rotten start. Um, I guess the problem is you look at where they were when the World Cup starts and they'd they'd improved quite a lot by then and it looked like they might be comfortable mid table. But but yeah, I, I think you know if you'd said what are they on 30 points? Yeah. Um if you'd said to them you need six points from the last four games of the season, which will be bottom of the table, Southampton at home, uh Chelsea away, okay, Arsenal at home will will be difficult. Uh Crystal Palace away when Palace may have nothing, well we'll have nothing left to play for. It's it's not a bad position to be in at all. Um and I think the crucial thing for them was beating Brighton at home. Yeah, you know, the, the last home game that they'd been on that terrible run. Uh, you did think that they just sort of going to keep going, keep going, keep going. 
but Brighton, and we know how good Brighton have been this season, to, to beat them is a big result. It's probably not a game they, they really expected a lot out of. And it what it means is it's it's just sort of changed the mood ahead of this game, which is one they absolutely would would expect or or feel they need to get a win from. That's some heartbreaking results, Rhys. And that Brentford game last week, was, they were in control, 10 minutes left, winning winning 1-0, and they've somehow come away from that with, with absolutely nothing. But this game... Is huge on Monday night against Southampton. Then you've got to start here. I, I can't have got no idea what it means. The 14 youngest starting 11s in the Premier League this season, in terms of average age, have been uh, 11 of those have been by Southampton. That's Two of them right. by Arsenal, one by Leeds. But you see that that inexperience has probably cost Southampton because they've got some really talented young players in there. Um, Lavia, Alcaraz, uh, Bellacott, Chap um, are all really good players. It's just they lack that, uh, you know, those experienced heads to have helped the, to keep them afloat. Um, I, I know they've got Ward Prowse, who will probably leave this summer now. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's an experience that has ultimately cost them. Um, if they bought in, maybe if they bought in a bit better in January, um, added a couple of, you know, Premier League stalwarts, not, not, not stalwarts per se, but, you know, Premier League experienced players, they might have been in a stronger position now. Um as it is, they look as, you know, pretty much down. If they lose to Forest, that's basically it for them. Um, and, yeah, it's just that inexperience has really cost them. Southampton have done what Villa did in 2015-16, where they've signed a load of young, hot prospects. They'll go down, but I guarantee three or four of those players will go on and have excellent careers. You know, Villa, that's Villa side that went down. Jordan Veritus was in the France squad at the World Cup. He's played, played for Roma, played for Marseille. Idrissa Garnagay played for PSG for, for a long time. Jordan Ayew's been, been in the Premier League ever since he, he left Villa. Dharma Traore has had a, had a decent career. You know, there was a there was players there in that Villa side that went down on 17 points that went on and were successes elsewhere. But trying to get all that together in the Premier League is, is really, really difficult. Hindsight's a great thing in, in football, Jonathan. They shouldn't have got rid of, the, of, of House and Hootle, really, should they? Because he was proven at keeping them up. And yes, Nathan Jones was great for us. Really, really entertaining period in, in, in Premier League history that will go down in folklore. But from the looks of it, the two managers that have, have come in since House and Hootle, between them, they've pulled up the same amount of points that, that Ralph managed. So they should have just stuck with him because he kept them up for seasons before. Yeah, I mean, House and Hootle is... is uh... There was always an inconsistency there. They, they were capable of pretty much beating anybody sort of 3-0, but also capable of losing games 9-0. Uh, and I, I guess that just wore down at people. But and I, I feel sort of, you know, yes, I'm obviously one of those teams that as a, as a journalist, you, you don't see as much as you would see of an Arsenal or a City or a or United. Uh, and I never knew I was going to get when I when I watched them. You sort of felt talking to fans that they didn't, they couldn't really work out if they're any good or not. But, in a sense, that, can, that inconsistency is in Hasenhutl's favour because it means that however bad things are, there's a chance of, of bouncing back. So I think with, you know, was getting rid of Hasenhutl when they got rid of him wrong? Possibly not. But there's no doubt that things have got worse since. That the, the succession plan after him was was not good. So you know, I, I think you see clubs do this quite a lot. That they they sort of think, right, we've got to do something. We'll sack the manager because that is something. It's a, it's a sign that we're listening to fans. We're we're we're, we're reacting to the to, to to results to form. But if you don't have a plan for what comes next, what's what's the point? You know, you you end up just sort of uh, all the problems are already there. Just get worse because 
the you know the person who's in charge doesn't doesn't know where he's trying to get to. And Hasenhutl, I think, certainly with respect, you'd say had enough in the bank that he probably deserved a bit longer to to, to try and put things right. Um, I know there've been all the problems with the you know, change of backroom staff in the uh, last summer, uh, which suggested they they sort of um, come to doubt him. Um, but but yeah, they, there's no question that things have got worse since he went. He also worked with him all summer, though. He would have been involved in the process of bringing bringing the players in that they brought in to then get rid of him and bring in Nathan Jones, who just doesn't suit. I mean, I'm sure if he suits the Premier League, you know, he didn't suit that club. It was just a nonsense appointment, and that period has has cost them really. That that'll be one of the reasons they go down. Well, the thing about that period was they played a lot of the. I mean, it's it's, it's not totally dissimilar to the Vieira um, Hodgson situation at Palace where Hasenhutl had had a lot of difficult games just before he went, and there's an easy fixture list coming up. But whereas Hodgson has capitalised on that easy fixture list to take, what is it, 13 points from from six games, Nathan Jones just had a disaster. And they they, they wasted those those winnable games. Uh, and that, that really is what's cost them, rather than what's happened since, I think. This season has just been wild. We've had fit, fittest man on the planet, Nathan Jones, the best manager on the planet, Sam Allardyce. This this season has just been absolutely wild. Let's get some predictions then. Nottingham Forest v Southampton. Ben? Uh, I think Forest will win this one 3 1. 3 1 to fire. I really want Forest to, to stay up. Great, great club, Forest. I've got a bad feeling for them in this game. I think something silly is going to happen. I'll go, I'm going to go 1 1. Jonathan? I'm going to go 1 0 to Forest. 1-0 to Forest. Let's move on to the just a minute section then. And Jonathan has the honour of starting us off this week with the Midlands Derby, West Midlands Derby. It's Wolves v Villa. Wolves now seven points clear of the relegation zone. Uh, they may already have enough points. We were saying before that 35, 36 is probably enough. They've got 37. And, you know, another win, I'm sure they'd be absolutely safe. Uh, hammered at Brighton 6-0 last week, which maybe, maybe is an indication that Brighton are really good and had some... Goals in the bank, given given how they seem to have wasted chances against United and Chelsea particularly. Uh, maybe it's a sign that Wolves have, have, have slightly lost focus. They had won three of the four games before that Brighton game, though, Wolves. Uh, all of those three at home, and 26 of the 37 points have come at home. So, like Forrest, a much better team at home in a way. Uh, Villa are now uh, nine points of fourth. Um, so, really, it's all about securing Europa League football. Champions League uh, looks... Out of range. Um, that defeat to Manchester United last week ended the run of 10 unbeaten, which took 26 points. And it's the first time we felt a score in 22. Doubts over Cash, Kamara, Bailey and Caccino for Villa. There's 1-1 at Villa Park, but I think they'll have enough and win this 1-0. Go on, Jonathan. I want to go 2-1 to Villa. Ben? Big 1-0. Mm, don't like that. Not happy with Sorry. that, Ben. It's okay. Ben, you've got Bournemouth v Chelsea. Good luck even talking about Chelsea in a minute. Bournemouth have all but secured their Premier League status following four whenever relegation rivals Leeds last weekend to open up a nine-point gap between themselves and the bottom three with four games to play. The Chelsea have now won four of the last five as they end the season strongly. Gary Neal has a few injury doubts for the welcome of Chelsea with Hamid Traore, Kiefer Moore and Chris Mepham all need to be assessed. However, Marcus Tavernier, Brian Fredericks and Junior Stanislas are all absent. Chelsea's miserable run of form continued midweek as they lost 3-1 to Arsenal. Blues are ending the season poorly and there are concerns that a six-game losing run will continue on the South Coast this weekend. Rhys James is out for the rest of the season, while Mason Mount and Kalidou Koulibaly have some chance of playing again before this campaign draws still close. However, Mark Cucurella is also absent for Frank Lampard's side that would unlikely have started with Ben Chilwell first choice left back. I think that Bournemouth will win 2-1. I think Bournemouth will win 3-0. They're pretty much safe Bournemouth now. I just think they'll be able to play with some freedom. 
and Chelsea. Lampard can't even pick a team. I, I think this is the start of a Lampard comeback. I think they'll get a point 1-1. Right then, the Wayne Routledge derby for you, Jonathan, or the Chris Armstrong derby, Tottenham v Palace. Uh, Spurs on a run of one win from the last seven games, and that has left them now nine points off the Champions League. Uh, it's all about now the, the battle for, for Europa League football. Level with Villa, two points above Brighton. But Brighton have three games in hand, including tonight's game against Manchester United. Um, they're also a lot better at home than they are away. They've taken 34 or 50 points at home, which perhaps isn't that starting a statistic, but they haven't won away from home uh, since the Fulham game in January. So they'll be glad to get back to the to the Tottenham Stadium. Uh, they have scored in the last eight games. The goals aren't a problem for them, uh, but they have conceded 15 in their last four. Uh, Palace have won four, drawn one, lost one in six games under Roy Hodgson. They're now 11th and surely safe. Emerson Royale, Basuma, Benton Kerr, and Sessignon are doubts. Oh, sorry, out. And there's doubts over Lloris and Skip for Tottenham. Uh, Zaha, a doubt for Palace. It was 4 0 to Tottenham at Sellers Park over this season. And I think they'll win again, but only by 2 1. 2 2. I'm just going to predict what I want to happen because I think the Villa and Spurs are in a shootout for Europe. So I'm going to go. 3-1 to Crystal Palace. Different predictions for different needs. Then Liverpool <laughs> v Brentford. Uh, Liverpool made a five wins on the spin in midweek as the first half Mohamed Salah penalty proved the difference against Fulham on Wednesday night. Reds are making a late push for a top four finish. though have played more games than Newcastle Manchester United above them in the table. Bambi Keita is the only player with a chance of returning for Liverpool this weekend. But Thiago, Calvin Ramsey, Stefan Bacetic and Roberto Firmino all absent. Louis Diaz started for the second game running against Fulham but Jürgen Klopp has plenty of options in attack to rotate with Diogo Jota and Cody Gakpo both featuring from the bench. After a six-game winless run, Brentford have earned back-to-back league wins, having gotten the better of Chelsea and Nottingham Forest in recent weeks. The Bees are now just four points outside the top six with four games to play. Thomas Frank is without trio, Pontus Janssen, Keane Lewis, Potter and Christian Norgard, or Thomas Strakosha and Christopher Adjur will be assessed. Liverpool have the third best home record in the Premier League this season, and one will expect that record to continue this weekend. I think Liverpool will win this one 3-1. I will go... 2-1 to Liverpool. Jonathan? 2-0 to Liverpool. 2-0 to Liverpool. Right, it's the Paul Ince derby for you, Jonathan. West Ham against Manchester United. West Ham, four points clear the relegation zone. So probably two points, three points will be enough to see them safe. But they have lost their their, their last three. Um, having said that, two of those were by a single goal and the other one was the game against City uh, last night when actually, given who they had out, they 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 played all right, you know, 3-0 felt sort of the, the, the maximum that City deserved in that game, albeit they did the bar twice. Uh, but I think there was enough in that performance. West Ham shouldn't be too worried by that. Uh, United's win against Villa last week was their first in four, but they're now four points clear in fourth with two games in hand and the two points behind Newcastle with the game in hand, but playing playing Brighton tonight. Uh, a load of injuries to both sides. Lissandro Martinez, McTominay and Varane, the big absentees for United. Uh, Skamaka, Zuma, uh, Suchek uh, are all out for West Ham. Actually, Suchek might be a doubt. And then a good Kufal and Declan Rice doubts. It's one at Old Trafford, and I think United will win again 2 1. Nil 2 for me. Ben? Uh, 2 1 United as well. Okay. Ben, Brighton against Everton. Yeah, the time of writing, Brighton have three games in hand on those around the table ahead of tonight's welcome Manchester United. The Seagulls are unbeaten for at home ahead of Thursday's game and they'll be confident denting Everton's quest to beat the drop, though they have failed to win their last two at home against the Toffees. And Roberto De Zerbi remains without Jakob Murdo, Adam Lana, Joel Veltman and Terry Clampty, but there is a chance Evan Ferguson could return to starting fold if he doesn't make the squad to face Manchester United on Thursday night. 
James Coleman was stretched off in the two-all draw with Leicester on Monday night, and it's safe to assume his season is over, with Nathan Patterson expected to deputise at right back. Ben Godfrey, Deli Ali, Ruben Vinegre and Andros Townsend are also absent for Monday's trip to South Coast. It's obviously winners in, on, in 13 on their travels. Their Monday's two-all draw at the King Power made four draws from the last five on the road as they seek to put crucial points on the board at this stage of the season. That said, at the top, he's had the third worst away record in the division, a record that they're unlikely to prove upon against Brighton, and I think Brighton will win this one 3-1. 2-1, Brian. Jonathan? 2-0, Brighton. Jonathan, the last one for you is Fulham v Leicester, the Anthony Knockhart derby, the big one. Well, it is a, it is a big game for Leicester. They're uh, levelling points with Leeds and Forest, um, you're sort of skirting around the relegation zone. You'd probably say they need two wins for the final four games to be safe. Given they've got Liverpool and Newcastle up next before what could be a, a, an absolutely vital game on the final day against West Ham, they probably do need to win this one. They have improved under Dean Smith, played City first up. You can't can't read too much of that, but but showed enough in the second half to suggest things were were not as dire as they perhaps had had appeared before. Then they've taken five points from from uh, the three games since, albeit possibly slightly fortunate to get the point against Everton in midweek. Uh, Fulham seem to have switched off then they're missing the suspended Mitrovic definitely uh, they've lost eight of the last ten um, but having said that that probably isn't quite as bad as it seems after beating Everton Leeds they've played Villa City and Liverpool three teams in form uh, Pereira, Reem, Kazawa all out for them as well as Mitrovic Justin Iheanacho Vestergaard out and Pereira Evans and Bertrand uh, are doubts for Leicester it was 1-0 to Fulham at the King Power but I'm going to go 1-1 I'm going to go for 2-1 to Leicester Ben uh, big one all as well. Big one. I need to call. I need to call you Dean then because I was thinking thinking about <laughs> Dean, Dean Smith. Right, that does us for this week's podcast. Thanks ever so much for joining us. Hopefully you've enjoyed us previewing this weekend's Premier League action. Please subscribe to the channel with your post notifications on. Give the video a like if you've enjoyed it enjoyed it sorry and comment as well with your thoughts ahead of the weekend we'll be back next week to do it all again but obviously for different games as ever enjoy the football at the weekend and please stay safe